0: let's start out by praying this morning. Father thank you uh, just that you have brought us here this morning. As you woke us up and allowed us to come to be in this place at this time. Father it has been great to sing these songs, to be reminded of the power that's in your name, the power that's in the name of Jesus. Father to experience taking the the Lord's Supper together, just to be reminded of that bloody war that, that Jesus did fight for us, to save us, to redeem us. And uh, Father, to sing these songs that uh, just open up our hearts and remind us of the true reality that exists beyond what our eyes can see. Father, thank you for these, these moments, these times where we come together and we really get outside of the craziness of this world and, and really immerse ourselves in scriptural truths And reinforce them with songs and rituals, Father. And Prayerfully, our hearts are moved and changed. And uh, Father, I do pray that this morning that we can be humble. I pray that we can be humble as we read uh, your scriptures. Uh, We believe that they are from you, that you breathed them into being. And uh, Father, that your Holy Spirit is the, the author behind the humans that wrote the scriptures down. Father, we're grateful for James and what he left us. And we will be studying the letter that James wrote the next couple weeks. And Father, I just pray that we can stay connected with one another and really allow these scriptures to transform us, help us to live compassionately in this world and generously, just as we saw Jesus in the scriptures. And uh, Father, so I pray for your spirit to be powerful at this time, to fill me with your spirit. Help us all to, to really desire to not just be hearers of the word, but also put it into practice in our lives. And uh, we pray this all in your son's name, Jesus. Amen. 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 Well, let's open up our Bibles to the book of James. And we're going to continue a series that really, we felt like Jonah was a great book of the Bible to really help us to understand how God's heart is. He, He wants us to live compassionately in this world just as he wanted Jonah to be compassionate about all those 120,000 people in in Nineveh I mean shouldn't he have been uh, shouldn't Jonah have been concerned about them because God was because God loves all he wants all people to know who he is because that is how we escape the corruption and the decay of this world we need God and God's people need to go out and spread who God is in this world. And, and Jonah struggled with that. Uh, but but I, I pray that we can learn from his example. And, and James is a, is a great book. I believe it hits on some similar concepts as well. And we're going to look at, we're not going to be able to study every single passage, but we've, we've taken some uh, of the parts of James that we feel like reinforces these concepts of living compassionately and generously in the world that we live in. So it's good to kind of give a little bit of a background before we dive right into James Uh, and and the author is is James the brother of Jesus not the apostle James sometimes people get a little confused about that those are two separate people Uh, there are other people in the Bible named James but the one that wrote this book most scholars believe is Jesus's half brother not the apostle uh, that was killed in Acts chapter 12 and um, the writer, uh, James, when you read the scriptures, you, you realize that Jesus' family uh, really didn't always believe what he taught. And uh, there were times when they wanted to grab Jesus out of a meeting. The family's waiting outside. Get Jesus, he, he's gone over the edge. We need to get him out of there. So Jesus with his family, it wasn't always great. Even in John chapter 7, it even basically says that his family, they weren't really following him. And uh, But luckily, uh, 1 Corinthians tells us that James actually was able to see the risen Jesus. And uh, we, many believe that was what led to his conversion. And uh, he was a very, uh, very devout follower uh, of Jesus. He was referred to as Old Camel Knees. Early church history called him that because he was known for praying so much on his knees that he developed calluses on, on his knees. Uh, because he was such a devout follower. So people can go from one end of the spectrum to the other. Amen for conversion. And in James 1, he he talks about writing to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. And uh, James is probably uh, referring to, uh, you know, the the, the Christians that had mostly Jewish heritage at this time. Uh, The time that James writes, most of the people that followed Jesus were of Jewish faith. And they had been scattered uh, all over the world and uh, at this time that we think he wrote this was was a a time before many Gentiles were in the church so it was really a strong uh, Jewish heritage uh, in the church what was the situation when he wrote this around maybe 40 the mid 40s AD uh, what we know is that uh, this was a, a very challenging time there had been famine Uh, During this time, food shortages, riots, uh, the oppression under the Romans was intense, uh, exorbitant taxes uh, were being uh, felt by the people. It it was a crazy tough time and uh, the anti-Roman sentiment was deep. And the zealots were strong among the Jews, telling them to rise up, take up, take up your weapons and fight these Romans. And, and there was, there was a, a huge sentiment to do that. Uh, but many believe that, that James is writing to say, you know, we have got to persevere under these types of trials with our Christian character and not run around trying to kill everybody. And uh, so these are some of the, the situations that were going on. The rich were oppressing, the poor, uh, it was just a tough time. And uh, What many scholars believe is that James was actually killed in about 62 AD, about maybe 15-20 years after he wrote uh, this letter that we're going to study some of today. Uh, Tradition says that they took him to a part of the temple and threw him off the temple. uh, And he fell to the ground, but he did not die in the fall. And tradition has it that he was then beaten uh, to death by a mob. And as he was dying, tradition says that he prayed for those that were beating him. Uh, to death just as his brother Jesus did when he died on the cross. So that's kind of a little bit of the background maybe of who James is, half-brother Jesus, the time frame uh, that he wrote and hopefully that can help us uh, understand a little bit more about where James is coming from. And we're going to jump right in. You ready? Enough with all that good stuff, right? James chapter 1 and uh We're going to pick it up here in in, in verse 26 and we're going to read from verse 26 and we're going to read a little bit into chapter 2. In verse 26 it says, If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. You want to stop right there, everybody? How are we doing? <laughs> is anyone convicted yet? You know, it's quick to pass over this part. Let's just get on with the part about the widows and the orphans and why we, this isn't the main point. I disagree. James is serious about keeping a rein on your tongue. In fact, in chapter three, he takes a lot more time to talk about the trouble that your tongue can get you into, the stuff that you say. So this isn't a throwaway part of james this is a serious topic that i think he wants you and i to take seriously that we need to keep a tight rein on our tongue and that is not just in the book of james that is throughout scripture consider the proverbs proverbs 17 27 and 28 the one who has knowledge uses words with restraint And whoever has understanding is even-tempered. Even fools are thought wise if they keep silent and discerning if they hold their tongues. This isn't just a New Testament proof text taken out of the way. This is something that God has said many, many times in Scripture. Proverbs 10, 19. Sin is not ended by multiplying words, but the prudent hold their tongues. We have to learn how to keep a tight rein on our tongues. Why? Because, you know what, if you don't, you're deceiving yourself. You know, and, and what he's getting at is that you think you're all religious, you consider yourself religious. And the word religious in the New Testament, every time it's used, it's usually an, actually a negative connotation. It kind of has that vibe of the, the ceremonial person, the, the person that does the externals, but the ritual, but maybe not the heart. So, you know, you might consider yourself all religious, but if you can't even keep a rain on your tongue, guess what? It's worthless. It's empty, it's, it's vain, it's purposeless, and even detrimental. What are some examples? Well, you gotta watch out for, for gossip, don't you? Gossip. Some of you gotta keep your mouth shut sometimes. You don't need to start, did you hear about? If you hear somebody say that, did you hear about? It? You might wanna get ready. You might need to stop that conversation right there. Does this person know that you're telling me this? Sometimes we need to call people on that. Slander, I can't believe this person. They're not there to defend themselves, you're just railing on them, right? You gotta watch yourself. You call yourself religious, a faithful person, you gotta keep a rein on your tongue. Course joking, you know what I'm, you better watch out. Uh, sometimes they tell you, you're telling jokes, or you, sexual innuendo, you didn't really say the word, but you kinda, you pretty much did say it. And you expect everybody else to think it's funny, and, body parts being mentioned, but not really mentioned. You gotta watch out for coarse joking, don't you? You call yourself a believer. This is, this is serious stuff. Labels that we can put on people. You know, sometimes I catch my kids, hey, whoa, whoa, let's be careful. That might be funny in your circles, but you gotta watch out. Sometimes you say things that you think is just no big deal, oh, that person's a retard. Hey, whoa, hold on now. That, 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 ter- that term's not, that's not good. What are, you, what are you referring to? You know what I'm saying? Some people go, oh man, I had a crazy day. I feel so bipolar. Whoa, whoa. Just, you know, that, that's, that's, uh, that's insensitive, you know. People that struggle with that, that's a serious issue. And you just throwing it out there flippantly like that can really hurt somebody. Okay? You got to keep a tight rein on your tongue. Because you say a bunch of stuff and then the next thing you're going to say, you want to come to church with me? With you? No, thank you. Because I don't heard the stuff that comes out of your mouth, and I don't want to go to church with you. Because you say just about anything about anybody. We got to keep a tight rein on our tongues if we consider ourselves uh, faithful people. I appreciate that. And I don't want to hear all these excuses either. Don't give me these excuses. Oh, I'm from the East Coast, you know what I'm saying? That's how we talk. Or, you know, hey, I don't want to hear the excuse. Hey, my family, that's the way we are. I don't want to hear the excuses. I don't want to hear the, hey, I'm just being real, and if people can't handle that, that's their problem. you got to watch yourself. Maybe you're just being real ugly, like my big mama used to say. Yeah, you're being real, but it's real ugly. You know what I mean? It's real unspiritual. Yeah, that's what what it really is. you got to watch yourself. Keep a tight rein. Because you might actually be deceived. You think you're so close to God, but you're not. Jesus once said, I did not speak on my own. But the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I've spoken. I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. And some translations say, God told me what to say and how to say it. Is what Jesus says in John chapter 12. And don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, right? Ephesians 4, right? Don't let unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, so that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. If you don't keep a tight rein on your tongue, if you let unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, if you think that's just you being you, you being real, you actually might be deceived and you might not be as close to God as you really think you are. And your religion is empty, vain, purposeless. That's what this word worthless translates as. And also detrimental. It can actually hurt you and those around you that you're supposed to be a light to, you could actually be hurting by the things that you say. Don't let it happen to you. Amen, church? So he says, don't let that happen, but here's an example of what you can do. In verse 27, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And this, is, this by no means is James' point. This is, his point is not, this is the only way to show your religion. That's not James' point. His point is not, these are the only, you know, the only things that God is looking for to see if your, your faith is really true and pure and unstained. That's not what James is getting at. He's trying to offer you examples, offer all of us examples of what, of what it means to have a faith that's not worthless and vain and empty. But looking after widows and orphans in their distress. And in studying this, the, the word that's translated looking after it, it's really to, to look upon with, with mercy. To look upon with mercy in your heart. You know, there's a, there's a time, and if you're not familiar, and I know some people in this room aren't familiar with the Bible, but there's a, a really moving story about Jesus in, in Luke chapter 7. And Jesus is kind of, he's got a big group of people with him, and, and they love him, and it, it's a boisterous group, great things have happened, uh, people's faith is, he's, got, he's just got this procession with him, and it's, it's great, it's joyful. And they're kind of walking along, but, but they kind of come across another group of people. It's another group, but it's almost the exact opposite. And, and, and what Jesus sees is he sees a woman who, who's a widow, she'd already lost her husband. But her her son was dead in a casket and they were carrying him through and the people were crying and wailing and the mom and the the widow she's just beside herself with grief she's she's a widow right and so she's a woman in that society not many opportunities for upward mobility to earn money or anything and so you see this crowd with jesus man jesus awesome and you see this just this crowd of people mourning and the Bible says that, that Jesus goes over, you know, and, and touches the, the boy in the casket and, and, and tells him to get up. And, and, the, and the boy gets up and, and the Bible says Jesus handed him to his, to, to his mother. And, and, and the people re- re- reacted. They, they reacted. And they said, they said oh my gosh, God, God has come to take care of his people. That whole word, take care of, is the same word James is talking about here. That's how we gotta have that heart to take care of. Orphans and widows in their what? What does it say in their what? Distress. Distress. What type of distress are they in? What what is that word talking about? That word means to squeeze, to, to pressure, compress, Feel the weight, to be under the weight of something. That's what it means to, to feel that distress. When when you're in the world and you can't earn money and you, you, you people are you on the low end of the, the, the totem pole socially, I mean, no one's just giving you a handout. It's a rough situation. You feel the pressure just of everyday living. It's intense. And James is saying, man, if we're gonna call ourselves religious, we, we need to actually care about people like this. We gotta look upon them with mercy. And it's not just physical distress. I mean, it's spiritual, it's mental, emotional, uh, when you have to deal with that every day of your life. Here we are, once a year, we try to get together and and, and do a a -a walkathon, walk three miles, right? To raise awareness, wow, three miles, wow on a beautiful campus in the united states of america right i mean that that's what we but it's one way to at least try to show concern (laughs) show because you don't realize it but that one donation you get does affect and it relieves distress for somebody feeling it somewhere else Are, are we religious enough or faithful enough is our relationship with god serious enough that we care about what he cares about i hope so Exodus chapter 22, verse 22, do not take advantage of the widow or the fatherless. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 17, learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. You see, a mark of of our obedience to Christ should be how we show special concern for people that gets pushed aside in society and it doesn't just have to be orphans and widows i don't i don't believe that's all james means i believe it's anybody that i mean in our society maybe the immigrant crisis maybe we need to look with mercy upon those people trying to they're uprooted and they're going all over the the world trying to find somebody to take them in maybe we got to think we have to look with mercy on people like that people that have been severely disabled, people that are impoverished in third world countries. You know, we gotta be imitators of God in this crazy world that so wants to minimalize people like that, marginalize them. You know, Psalm 68 says that God is a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling, and God sets the lonely in families. We gotta be like God in this world. We gotta challenge ourselves because we're very comfortable, flat out. We are comfortable compared to most of the world. We don't feel the tight squeeze compression that most people feel in the world today. So at the very least, we gotta figure out how to show concern and have mercy on people that are going through that. So not only do we need to keep a tight rein on our tongue, James says, and look after orphans, widows, the helpless that are in their distress, he also says one other thing. He says, we gotta keep ourselves from being polluted by the world. You see, G- G- James reminds us, it's not just actions that are outward towards other people. They're good, needed, important, but there's also an aspect, of you, gotta look, you gotta watch your own self a little bit here. You gotta, you gotta keep tabs on yourself as well and keep yourself from being polluted by the world. You know, I, I, have a, uh, I have this Bible I like. Uh, one of the brothers texts me here and say, Hey man, how do you study the Bible? And I mean, everybody's got their own way. But I have this, this called a Hebrew-Greek Keyword Study Bible. And whenever I have a topic, the first few days, I'll just read uh, the definitions of the words in the passage that I'm going to preach about. I just want to know what the words mean. I'm not even trying to figure, I'm just trying to, what does that word mean? You know? And I, so I'll just spend time... Reading the definitions and uh, as I was reading this passage to keep oneself from being polluted by the world uh, I made myself a note man You need to read some of this stuff in the definition of what the world is to everybody So I'm gonna do that. So I'm gonna read this definition Because it made sense to me The world what is the world when it comes to scripture? The Greek word cosmos. And one of the definitions, it, it's just, I thought it had some good stuff. Ethically, morally, or spiritually, the present world order or system of life in its condition of self-reliance and independence from God, along with its apostate beliefs, values, ethics, attitudes, and practices. That's a mouthful of stuff. But what is it basically saying? The present world that we live in? It's characterized by an independence from God, a reliance on self, values, ethics, beliefs that are antithetical to to Christ. The cosmos, or this world, is concerned with the present transitory dimension of life, ignoring or denying eternity, gauging existence by material standards and defining achievement in terms of human esteem. It is a philosophy or worldview which in its crasser forms is marked by selfishness, greed, power, lust, ambition, violence, self-glory, and other vices which reflect the man-centered spirit of this world. That's the world we live in right there. I couldn't say it better myself. You better watch out that you don't become polluted by all of this. You wake up in the morning, you turn on your radio, you're probably gonna get exposed to this. You get out of your car, you lock your door, you walk into wherever you work, you're gonna be exposed to all of this. You call up a customer you need to talk to, they don't like what you're doing, you're probably gonna hear a bunch of this. You don't make your number, you'll probably have to listen to your boss and you're gonna hear a lot of this and you're gonna question your worth and your kids are gonna come from school and they're gonna tell you about what the other kid got and what they don't got and you're gonna question yourself and you're gonna wonder if you measure up in this world and you're gonna look at what other people have and you're gonna be tempted to want it. And you had not even thought about Jesus. <laughs> That's how this world works. It can corrupt you. It wants to corrupt you. It wants to pollute you. Pollution. It's not going to try to just take you out sometimes in one fell swoop. It's just going to corrupt you bit by bit. Decision by decision. Thought by thought. To take you out. To get you to want what this world wants you to want. This world wants you to want stuff that's independent from God. Woo, you better watch yourself in this world. You're gonna, you, you have to realize the pollution that is out there. But the, but the solution to the pollution is not to go run off and stay at home and lock your door. That's not the solution to the pollution in this world. The solution is to wake yourself up in the morning, pray to your God, read from God's Word that's not based on the principles of cosmos or this world, and, and clothe yourself with the, with the ethics and the values and the attitudes of what scripture says that's totally different than what the world says. Oh, it's fine to call people what you want to call them. It's fine to talk to that person because they mean anyway. You can tell them what you want to tell them. All oh, those people in Africa, man, they just misused the land. They didn't, the crops, they messed up. They deserve what they get. Hey, they want a great country. They just need to come here and live. That, wow, okay, okay. That's how the world thinks. You better watch yourself you don't get corrupted like that. You better watch yourself. The world wants you, it wants to squeeze you into its mold, doesn't it? That's the way it works. It's knocking at your door. Sin is crouching at your door. It wants to devour you. But you can't let it happen. You got to keep yourself from being polluted by the world. And then James goes into something else that can happen even in the church. Even in the church, he goes on to something else. There's no chapter headings in the original. James is writing. Keep yourself from being polluted by the world. And guess what? My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Don't do it. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring, fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention, to the man wearing fine clothes and say, uh, yeah, here's a good seat for you. Right here, man, take care of you. You want a good seat? Here you go, right here, right next to a leak, right? Front row. But say to the poor man, hey man, you stand over there or sit by the floor by my feet. Yeah. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts. Do you want to talk about this church? James don't mess around. You better watch out, the world's trying to come into church. Don't show favoritism. You know what this word means in the original language? It means receiving the face. Receiving the face is the literal definition of the word favoritism. What does that mean? Receiving the face. And it basically just means that you judge based on the external. You see the face and that's where you make your judgment. That's where the favoritism comes in. You are basing your judgment on external appearances like dress skin color, general physical appearance. You're receiving the face and that's how you decide how to treat the person instead of allowing you to think about they're made in the image of God no matter what clothes they might be wearing right now, no matter how much is in their bank account, no matter what skin they have, no matter how much they weigh. They're made in the image of God. So I need to, I, I shouldn't show favoritism to the one whose face looks awesome to me. We got to watch out for this. This is how the world wants to corrupt us even in here. We can't let it happen. Don't show favoritism. The last time I got with my daughters, we had our little time in the morning. This was our scripture. And if you're familiar with the Bible, you'll know the setting. If you're not familiar with the Bible, uh, the setting is that it's time to anoint a new king for Israel. And Samuel has been the one that's charged to go find the king. Who's the new king? So he goes to the home of uh, Jesse, who's got all these sons. And where does Samuel start? Start with the oldest. I mean, sure. Good looking guy. Hey, amen. this must be the one. But it's not. In fact, the one that God wants Samuel to anoint is the young One that's got the menial job out there Tending the sheep He's the one that's supposed to be the next king And so in 1 Samuel 16 The Lord says to Samuel Do not consider his appearance Or his height Do not receive the face For I have rejected him The Lord does not look at the things People look at The Lord does not look at the things you and I look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at what? The heart, the heart, right? The heart. You can have the nicest car, the nicest house, kids go to the best schools, whatever. I don't, know what, I don't know what your criteria is to make you feel comfortable to give somebody else respect. I don't really know what it is, but it's probably something. We all fall into something, right? And there's probably a type of person when you look at them, you receive the face and you immediately go to the other place of they don't deserve my respect. I mean, it's one thing if a dude got a Uzi hand in his hand, it's dark in alley at night. Dude, let me tell you, if we're in a dark alley at night, I don't care if you're wearing a Brooks Brothers suit, man. I'm checking you out. You know what I'm saying? It's more about the situation than the person, right? So let's not make up all these ridiculous arguments. But what about, no. Hold down now. Let's just use everyday stuff. There's people that you won't show respect to because of their external appearance. I'm the same way, I know, I know. What do you do with that? Right? How do you, how do you handle that? <laughs> I mean, Cause I'm, I'm in the same boat. I had a brother come up to me last week after I preached about Jonah and you know, Jonah has some issues. Judging people and prejudice. He had some issues with that. I had a brother come up to me last week. He said, man, I'm prejudiced against my own people. He said, I know that sounds weird, but my own skin color people, I I struggle with. So, again, it it could be anything. It could be a nationality. Those of you that have kids, I mean, hey, I got two daughters, right? I kind of hope they, I mean, you know if they get married, I'd be fired. Up. Yeah, that's cool with me. Who are they gonna bring home, though? <laughs> right? Because the, the older they get, the more I learn. I don't really have. I mean, I can do my best, but when love start getting into the mix, they gonna choose who they really want, right? What am I looking for, though? I, I gotta ask myself that. I wanna do like football. Right? Basketball, right? Maybe go play a little golf with me, you know what I mean? Talk sports. I'm going to have to spend all these Christmases and Thanksgiving with this dude. We better get along. <laughs> right? That's just the, the one level. But what about the other levels? What if his family is poor? What if he's a race that... You know, I'm, I'm black, my wife is white. Pick, pick, just pick a nationality outside of that. Greek. You know what I mean? Greek, okay. <laughs> there we go. My man Tony Caramedes just decided to throw Greek out there. Amen, all right. So what if the Greek guy comes home? Well, how, m- you know what I mean? Wanna marry my daughter. He's not, he's not my nationality, you know what I'm saying, not my, my people. How am I gonna respond to that? Am I gonna shake, am I gonna treat him the way God wants me to treat him? or am I, Do I have so many preconceived notions of what I think that I, I, I'm gonna kind of withhold some of my heart, right? I don't know, man. I think we, we, we show favoritism sometimes, right. right? Some people come in the church and ah, oh, you know, I've, I've ministered so often to singles in my, in my time this is something we wrestle with, you know, in singles ministry, it, it, it's, it's a real thing, right? You get a, a brother who's got a job, got a car, a salary job, not hourly, We're talking salary, got benefits, got a car. The favoritism can get deep, you know what I'm saying? It can get in, it can we laugh, but that can happen. You can, you can receive the face or good looking or whatever, smooth and all that, but the other person that, that you know, kind of got two or three jobs and didn't totally finish school and, but show up every Sunday, every Wednesday. You need to move, I'll be there, man. Grammar might not be all on point all the time, but you know what I'm saying? Great heart, great hearted person. Sometimes those people get overlooked, overlooked. Overlooked. Somebody whose heart might be this, may show up every now and then their heart, all whatever, but they look good, man. Sometimes we just lean towards them. You gotta watch out. Don't, you know, don't show favoritism in the house of God, especially. And when you go outside the house of God, don't show it either. Because when you don't show favoritism outside the house of God, it's attractive. It is attractive. And it, it does make a statement. And I'm not just talking. I'm telling you what scripture says. If you want to study this more, why don't you read Le- Leviticus nineteen fifteen? Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. Amen. This isn't just a New Testament concept. Deuteronomy chapter 10. For the Lord your God is God of God and Lord of Lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow, loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And hey Israel, remember this, you better love those who are foreigners for you yourselves were foreigners once. You need to remember who you were before the blood of Jesus got attached to you, right? Not many of us were noble, right? Do you remember the scriptures? You thought you were all that, but you weren't because you fell short of the glory of God. But thank goodness God didn't show favoritism and took us all in. And that's the heart we need to have in this world that wants to divide us based on skin color and what type of, uh, you know, political party we have and all the ridiculousness that goes on. We can't let it happen in the church. Do not show favoritism in the church or in the world when you leave the church. (laughs) I gotta go, because Lois gonna get mad. Because the children's ministry, I'm at my limit. All right, fired up. All right, here we go we're gonna put the yes we are we are gonna end here in verse 12 (laughs) verse 12 speak and act speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful mercy triumphs over judgment where does this come from many scholars believe it comes from Matthew 5 where Jesus said blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy blessed are the merciful they'll be shown mercy but James kind of flips it it's almost kind of like a you know cursed are those who are not merciful For they will not be shown mercy. It's kind of like he takes Jesus' teaching, but teaches it in a different way. And being merciful is not just a feeling of concern, but it involves our speech and our actions as we reach out and touch people and show our concern, show our love by what we speak and how we act, what we do. Your faith needs to be alive and active Your religion can't just be worthless and empty, it's gotta affect how you do things. What you say, what comes out of your mouth, how you treat people, who you decide to treat, and how you treat them. It's all gotta work together. And discrimination and favoritism was the opposite and James was warning them, if you keep this way, if you keep doing this way, when the judgment comes, you're not gonna receive all the mercy you think you wanna get. And if you think that this is just James out of nowhere saying this, I read this in Exodus 22, and it woke me up. Exodus 22, verse 22, Do not take advantage of the widow or the fatherless. If you do, and they cry out to me, this is God speaking, I will certainly hear their cry. My anger will be aroused, and I will kill you with the sword. And your wives will become widows and your children fatherless I said whoa God is not messing around God has never been messing around as people of God we got to reach out reach down reach up reach whomever regardless of what they look like so we got to keep a tight rein on our turn church amen We gotta look after widows, orphans, people that are helpless in their distress, amen? Amen. We gotta keep ourselves from being polluted by this world, amen? Amen. We cannot show favoritism and receive the face and and judge on externals, amen? Amen. And we better be merciful or else we won't receive mercy. And we don't want that, we want mercy, right? As the song leaders come up, let's go to God in prayer. Father, thank you for the book of James. Thank you that we get opportunities to act and to show favor. I pray for, I do pray specifically for the orphans and widows in Africa feeling distress. And I pray that we can be moved to do something. Post something on Facebook. Ask one extra person to help out and show up next week at the walkathon with this on our hearts. Help us to reflect the ethics, the values that you want in this world. Please keep us from being polluted by this world. And thank you for the scripture, in Jesus' name, amen.